the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 586, for Monday, January 4th, 2016. Folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff. Should we do it over? You want to do it over? You feel better about that, John? I mean, you stepped all over me, man. I did, but you know the thing... doing that dramatic pause there to... Yeah, the thing is, we're here in Las Vegas, and I'm used to uh, a delay between when I hit play on the theme music and when it plays, and I guess for whatever reason, the setup that I've got here is uh is not so much doing that because we're on a completely road setup so uh i think we leave it in and 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 we're right here and we're good to go because we are the show that answers questions solves problems we talk about all these technical things we're like car talk for apple geeks sponsors for this episode include uh casper at casper.com slash mgg where you can save 50 bucks we're going to talk about that shortly and yes folks here in las vegas i'm dave hamilton and here, in nearly the same spot, in Las Vegas, in the state of Nevada, this is John F. Braun. Nearly the same spot, uh, but yeah. So we're on. Uh, we're using that uh, Yamaha AGO six mixer today. Uh, we'll see how that goes. We have various road setups that we can use, but this is the first time we're using this one in this way. I'd like to thank everybody in the chat room at macgeekab.com slash stream today for helping keep us on track because. Uh, they are the ones that are monitoring the audio live for us and for you to make sure that this recording actually works. So we will share the blame if it doesn't, but uh, but I think we're and, in good shape. And hats off to Dave for having a backup, especially a backup of hardware, because I followed his stru- instruction instructions exactly when he told me what to bring, which is bring the board, bring a cable. I'm like, okay. Yeah, because I, t- I was going to bring a microphone. I, I got a, an Audio-Technica 20, oh, a 2005 USB. Let's call it that. It's the other one that's just like it, and I can never remember the model number. But uh, but I got that for John, and, and actually we'll send it home with John, Then that'll be his backup going forward. So I told him he didn't need to bring a mic. But I assumed, because he was flying on an airplane, and we know the danger in assuming, that I assumed that because you were flying on an airplane, you would wear headphones on the plane for listening to music or watching movies or whatever it is we all do on the airplanes these days. But you don't. Uh, and this you didn't. Trip, I did not. Because a lot of times I find it, um, you know, especially if you're in coach or, you know, a lot of the airlines, it's just, it's a challenge to be uh, consuming media for me. So I was just like, nah, this time around I won't bring them. I mean, typically I have some, uh, I think I still have them. Eddie Modic are very oh, wow. nice. Yeah. Um, you know, with a good, especially in a plane, you know, they, they block out the noise. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, Dave brought not one, but two pairs of, I'll call earphones, he calls headphones. And uh, guess what? One pair is shot. Yeah. I, so I bought, years ago, I bought this pair of, of in-ear phones, you know, like canal phones or whatever you would call them, at, uh, at an airport because I forgot to bring my, my headphones with me, which is sort of bizarre. And I bought them and they worked fine. And so I've left them in my travel bag ever since. Uh, turns out they don't work today. I don't know why that is. But uh, after troubleshooting many, many things with the board, uh, we thankfully were wise enough to ask the question, do the headphones themselves work? And the answer is no. So the other set that I keep, uh, John, you are, you are blessed because I, I tend not to lend these out to people because uh, 
they don't exist anymore. You are using the Future Sonics Atrios, which were some of my favorite earphones ever made, and uh, really good sound. and And I just and they travel really well because they're really small. But uh, but those Atrios don't exist anymore. So I'll have to I'll have to reach out to the folks at Future Sonics and see what it is that that they have replaced these with in their in their lineup. They had the FS ones prior to the Atrios, which were pretty good uh, in terms of. Um, Actually, we're both using Future Sonics earphones because I'm using my travel uh, Future Sonics custom fits, so that I've used for a long time and uh, still sound great. So, there you go. Audio Technica mics, Future Sonic earphones, Mac hardware, of course, uh, and uh, Yamaha mixer, and we're good to go. Let's. Um, oh, and one last thing. Yeah, go. This is uh, interesting trivia. Maybe for some of you here, but I, I just saw a notification on my screen here, and someone said that this. This show should be called the Pentium Edition. Why is that, you ask? Because the number is 586, which is the number that Intel assigned to what they call their Pentium. Pent, of course, being 5, right? Right. And 586 begins with 5. And that was a, a milestone in their uh, release of uh, processors. So, uh, so the Pentium Edition. I like it. Hey, whatever works. All right, uh, trying to keep up with a lot of things here and all of that. Let's go to, uh, we've got some quick tips from you. So we'll see if we can actually keep them quick. Uh, and so we will start with Jeffrey here. And Jeffrey writes, uh, a not so obvious tip for listeners. Many iOS users stick with uh, default apps. And I often hear complaints about how there is no way to view only unread emails. Well, since iOS 7, there has been an apparently hard-to-find solution, but it's there. If you open up the Mail app on iOS and tap the word Mailboxes on the top left, next tap the word Edit on the top right, now you'll see radio boxes along the left side that let you add unread and other smart folders to the iOS Mail app. You can drag each smart folder up or down to rearrange the display order using the handle on the right edge. When done adding new categories, just tap the word done in the upper right. Uh, some of the options are unread, which is uh, obvious. VIP also has an info button on the right, which allows you to add your choice of senders. So you can only see emails from people that you want to see handy when traveling to or CC emails. are the, uh, it, This box shows emails to which there are emails that are sent to you or CC'd to you as opposed to things like newsletters, which are blind copied or, or sent in other ways. Attachments only show those emails with attachments. And in iOS 8, we added something called thread notifications, which is a fantastic feature for making sure you don't miss an important email conversation reply. Today also shows all emails from your inbox that are received on that same day. So very kindly, Jeff, and you're right. It's, uh, it's one of those things that's been there for a while. But uh, but it gets lost in the shuffle. So good stuff. I like it. Anything on that before we move on, John? Nope. All right. Moving on to Kevin. Quick tip number two. Uh, I recently noticed that the iCloud backup for my iPhone was listed as north of three gigabytes. This seemed to be much larger than necessary and much larger than I recall such a backup being when I had occasion to look previously. Although this included some 850 megs of photos, it still seemed way too large. Upon checking what was being backed up, I saw many apps that I had once installed but had then since deleted. Although these apps were listed as having no data, there didn't seem to be any reason for them to be listed at all. 
Then I reflected that this particular iCloud backup has been the direct descendant of an iCloud backup from a fourth-generation iPod Touch purchased in 2010, a five-year-old backup. So I deleted the iCloud backup and initiated a new one. This one was half less than half the size at 1.4 gigabytes, uh, which still included my 850 megs of photos. So a good reminder to go and wipe out those old iCloud backups. Thank you very kindly, Kevin. And I want to give you uh, something that I ran into in the last several days, Dave, and this uh, was brought to my attention because I started getting messages from one of my iDevices saying, sorry, you don't have enough space left. And I'm like, well, that, that's not right. That shouldn't be because I, I, last I checked, I don't back up a lot of data. Though what I did recently was I recorded a couple of very long videos on one of my devices. Okay. So I'll tell you the path I went down here. So why was my backup all of a sudden starting to take up huge amounts of space here? Unbeknownst to me, or I just really wasn't paying attention to it, surprise, surprise, um, I had iCloud Photo Library enabled on my iOS devices. Oh, yeah. Apparently, when I upgraded to iOS 9, it decided to turn that on for me. That is something I do not want. So what it started doing is replicating all my data amongst all my devices. Now, what I did, two things. So, one, I turned it off, and now it's warning me in 30 days it's going to do something dramatic and that it's going to wipe out iCloud Photo Library. It, it, it right. gives you a chance. Yes, that's right. right. And you can go online to iCloud.com to download all the pictures that are there yeah. uh, from your Mac, which is handy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's a scary warning. But the other thing that I was able to do, so in the meantime, in order to manage that, there is actually a setting that is really buried in here is that there is a level of granularity in the backup on the iOS device. And that if you go to iCloud, manage storage, uh, the next screen that you're going to see, one of the categories is going to be backups. And then if you click on a device, like for example, I'm going to click here on John F. Braun's iPhone 6S. You will then see backup options. And it says, hey, what items on this device would you like to back up? And the biggest one here is photo library, 2.1 gigs. <laughs> well, you could turn these items off on a per-application basis. So just a heads up here, uh, you, you can get a very fine level of granularity on your iOS backups. And I did not know that. I just started digging around because I'm like, I'm, I'd really like to work within the five gigs they give you for free. I know I can buy more. That's the other sure. option. They're like, hey, buy more. And I'm like, yeah. well, you know. On, on and the I deleted front of some of my mail. That was the other thing is that I had some mail stored in iCloud, yep. mostly the archive folder. And it was getting big. It was, dude, it was almost a, a gig. And I'm like, okay, oh, I, yeah. can, I can put that somewhere else. You can, yeah, you don't, need to, that, you don't need that taking up 20% of your free storage. Yeah, so I yeah. put it on the archive of, a, I think, an Outlook account that I have. Gotcha. So I freed that up as well. So, hey, um, so I, I realized, and I may have mentioned this in the show, but it's worth another quick mention. Years ago, I bought 25 gigs of iCloud storage space. Uh, and I was paying annually. And... I think the price changed over time. I think it went down, but it got to the point where I was play, paying $12 a year for this 25 gigs. And it was a grandfathered plan. You can't get 25 now. Uh, when it came time for renewal, I took a deeper look and realized I was paying $12 uh, per year for 25 gigs. I could pay 99 cents a month for 50 gigs. So guess what? I gave up my grandfathered plan and doubled my storage and saved 12 cents a year in the process. So just for anybody that's, uh, that's in that same boat, take a look at, you know, if, you, if you're on a grandfathered iCloud plan, take a look at what your current options are because it's probably better. So, all right, moving on to Mike. Mike says uh, he's got two things. 
Number one, for keeping the dust off the iMac glass when you remove it, uh, you put the suction cups on, you pull the iMac glass off to you know fix the hard drive or do whatever it is you're going to do. Instead of placing the glass on a towel, because all towels have lint, he says, I used a brand new green garbage bag. I opened the bag as we, he says my, his son helped him. Uh, he says, I opened the bag as we removed the glass and placed the glass on the bag within seconds of opening it. I left the suction cups attached. When putting the glass back on the iMac, stand the iMac up so the screen is vertical. Wipe the internal display with the most lint-free cloth you have. Slowly, you don't want to create static that will attract dust. And replace the glass by holding the suction cups. I'm pleased to say I can't see any dust. The other option, which is, of course, what the folks at Apple stores use, is to get a silicon roller. Uh, and perhaps the two of these things working together would, would, uh, would work well. He also says, uh, in the last show, you mentioned the Raspberry Pi. I've been using one as a Plex server with a five terabyte drive. It was fun to set up and works great. There were some bumps along the way, but with backups, trial and error, and a lot of Google foo, it worked. The newest Raspberry Pi will keep up with transcoding when required, but to eliminate transcoding altogether, if you save your files as uh, H.264 MP4s with AAC sound, you're good to go. Uh, so, cool. Thanks very much, Mike. Good stuff. I like it. I like these quick tips. Keeps us... Uh, it keeps us rolling. And, uh, and now I need to find our next quick tip because that's, uh, that's how it's going to work. I'm doing so because I just have my 11 inch air with me today. I'm actually using my iPad mini as the, uh, as the kind of the, the second screen for the show. I could, you know, I forgot about this. I could have used one of those apps that lets me actually use the iPad as a second screen for my Mac, but I'm just, just using Evernote on it and, and going from there. So moving on to Grant. A cautionary trail, a cautionary trail, cautionary tale uh, from Grant. He said, I had uh, terrible problems with beach balls after installing El Capitan on my 2011 iMac. And this might make for a cautionary tale for others. Had issues with spin up times for discs for years. Typically, I had to wait 20 seconds anytime I clicked my iTunes uh, while my external disc was spinning up. But the El Capitan beach ball problem was getting so bad, movies couldn't play back at all. Earlier on, I thought it was my time machine drive, a cheap four terabyte USB two. So I disconnected it, but there was no change. I did safe mode, which was great because it disabled the GPU or something and didn't play movies at all. Uh, and of course, I had run disk utility over all connected disks regularly to ensure good health. The culprit turned out to be my nearly four year old two terabyte Lacy little big disk Thunderbolt drive, uh, which cost a fortune at the time. So I was expecting a good working life out of it. Always got a good report from Disk Utility, even thought something uh, about the RAID 0 it used meant it didn't look like a normal drive. But after two weeks of intermittent troubleshooting, I finally had to guess which drive it must be. By this time, iTunes was reporting it couldn't find movies that uh, were there recently. Uh, I did what I could to fix the iTunes library, but the problem persisted. So, uh, so yeah, uh, replaced the drive, no more beach balls, and iTunes found the files it couldn't before, even after he moved them all, moved the library over. So, uh even when Disk Utility reports things are good, sometimes, as Grant found, it's good to trust your gut. So thanks for the story, Grant. I like, I like these quick tips, John. It's, um, it's handy. I always learn things. Hey, we learned something recently that, uh, that isn't true. Listener Peter had written in that the Unix cat command would join M4V files to create two copies of a movie. We had lots of people test it, including Peter, and it doesn't actually work. It does, it does join them together, but no player that we found will play the whole thing all together. So our apologies for sharing the wrong advice. And, uh, and thank you, Peter, for following up on that. Much appreciated. Well, Peter, you know what? I'm going to give you a quick tip. 
there is a way to do this from the most unlikely of sources. So it is true because I, I was experimenting with this uh, this morning. And sure enough, the, the re, you will see the resulting file. You know, you say cat, the first file, the second file, you uh, redirect it to another file. And, and sure enough, the resulting file is the combination of the two. But um, how, how do you take two movies and combine them together? I'm gonna how do you? A, uh, yeah, a, this is I, now I'm curious. Well, you know what? Um, there's this program that comes on most Macs called QuickTime Player. And you know what you can do? You could load one of those videos. You can go to the edit menu and you can say add clip to end. In QuickTime Player? Huh. I'll show you. I, I did I, it with I, two M4 and, and it doesn't matter I'm, either. I'm scooching over to be next to John now. Yeah. Yeah. I'll show you here. Well, here's the, uh, so I took two videos. So yeah. I took a, uh, so here's a, a Katy Perry video. As one does. And then here's a video of me driving to my parents. Oh. And it's a result of smashing those two together using QuickTime. Now it's get, it gets, so it's do it. So apparently what we suspected was incorrect that, you know, M, that the uh, M4V or various formats are smart enough to just let you smash things together because this thing was doing some heavy lifting. Right, right. I mean, all four of my cores here are eight, depending on how you define. But uh, all four of mine, I mean, my, my, it was doing some heavy lifting with the processor. It, it took many minutes to do this. It wasn't, whereas doing the cat thing it was happened very quickly sure. because it was just smashing two so cores I, together. So I guess what we'd have to then look at is to see if there's a quality degradation. Is it, because this was a, only a 10 minute file, right? So it, the time could have been it re-encoding this, which depending on what your sources are, might or might not matter. But if it's doing a re-encoding, you're not getting a lossless process. That That's the only thing, so. Uh, the two files, so so one file was 400 megs. Yeah. Um, the other was 99 and the resulting file was 531. No, I, so, I, I, so I, I, believe, I don't believe. Uh, so I believe it was doing exactly what it claimed with this feature. It just adding it, it and not not re-encoding the whole thing or anything. Yeah, yeah, could be. Yeah, cool, very cool. It surprised me. I yeah, the Google Foo was strong on this one, and uh, and it's I'm like in QuickTime Player, really? Like like you, Dave? You're like, huh? yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> cool. That's awesome. All right, uh, hearkening all the way back to show 585, our previous episode, Eric writes, uh, I was listening when you were discussing the issues of backups and reporting errors. Uh, there were a few software solutions mentioned that do this, but the first one that came to mind was Chronosync. It has a bi-directional backup function and reports errors or discrepancies if they arrive. You can even have the option to trial sync as a test before moving forward with a true sync. Not sure if this is a good solution for the issue that listener John was having, but I thought I'd mention it. Yeah, thanks, Eric. That's uh, uh, good to know. You know, things that can test your backups are um, are quite handy. So we very much appreciate that. Uh, let's see. And now moving on to Allison. Uh, let's see. Here, where are we? Okay, fine. I'm here at Allison. I think, I think I've got what I want. Uh, this is from Allison Sheridan, who coincidentally is in her car with her husband, Steve on their way to Vegas to attend CES with us this week. And, uh, she 
came in today because she had her own podcast to record last night, the Nozilla cast at podfeet.com. Also at podfeet.com is a new article entitled, What Would Make Two Macs Go Black Screen? Uh, she said, the TLDR version is that my MacBook and Steve's MacBook Air started suddenly having their screens go black, but only when I was using them. Everything was fine when Steve used his. This happened at our daughter's house and again at Steve's sister's house, but in the car, they were fine. The cause? It turns out I had set the laptops on a laptop sleeve that had a magnet in the middle of the shorter side, and sliding the edge of the laptop over it would cause it to go to sleep. And uh, and she's put up a little YouTube video to d- to demonstrate the behavior, um, but uh, it, and she's got an article that sort of talks through the 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 whole thing. So thanks, Allison. Yeah, yeah, those magnets can uh, you know that's how the Mac knows or thinks it knows that the lid is closed, and then operates in lid closed mode when, of course, the screen should go black. So and specifically. Uh, I, I experimented with this a while ago, but I don't think I ever mentioned it on the show. But sure. the uh, part that does this uh, has a couple of different names. I found it referred to either a hall sensor or a read switch. Okay. And if you go to iFixit and you come across articles where people are complaining that their Mac all of a sudden doesn't seem to be able to sleep anymore, that's exactly why. Is that that sensor or the wires going from that sensor to the motherboard uh, are shot and need to be replaced. Uh, Of course, the other fun thing, as Allison suggested, and I think I did this one time, so I took a strong magnet and started moving it around the base of my my MacBook Pro, and all of a sudden I went to sleep, and I'm like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. So if you want to play a trick on somebody, this could also be some good ammunition. Right. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Watch me magically put your Mac to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. All right. Uh, we'll we'll circle back to show five eighty five because we had. not just Eric write in about that, but we also had Rob write in and he, uh, he also suggested Chronosync, uh, but he says, we talked about carbon copy cloner running in a verify mode. You were correct in that the checkbox for find and replace corrupted files is a verification. And I can tell you, it takes a lot longer to run hours longer on my matches, uh, multiple backup sets. I have to find one to run without verification and another with, when I want to do a quick backup, I run the one without, it usually takes 20 minutes to a half hour to go through the 600 megs on my internal drive. The backup with verification takes as much as four hours. And I tend to run that overnight. So thanks for the clarification uh, from both of you. Good, good stuff. Um, David over on Facebook had a great little tip for us, and I'm trying to find here as we uh, as we as we get everything rolling. He said uh, he found an article uh, at OS 10 Daily about how to view and clear the Mac NVRAM contents from the terminal, and sure enough, it works. So we'll we'll put a link to this in the show notes, and um, and you can clear the NVRAM. Right, uh, right there from the uh, from you know the the terminal on your Mac, which is easier than uh, you know holding down all the right keystrokes and and doing everything the right way. So we'll put a link in the in the show notes for how to do that. But it's just it's NVRAM. Um, you can see the contents of the NVRAM by doing NVRAM space dash XP, and uh, and that will show you everything. And then NVRAM dash C clears everything, and NVRAM dash D. And then 
a variable or a key name clears out just that one key name. So for example, nvram-d system audio volume will get you there. So uh, good stuff. I like it. Uh-oh. Who's, whose machine was that making noise, John? Sounds like Siri. It does sound like Siri. Did she wake up on your... Uh... Uh, not on my devices. No. Not on mine. No. All right. Well, we will put a link to this in the show notes, and, uh, and we appreciate you putting up with our crazy, uh, crazy Las Vegas show here. Uh, we do have a nice view of the very rainy and overcast. It kind of looks like New England uh, and came to Las Vegas here, which I guess with John and I sitting right here, it, it, uh, it did. But it's very overcast and sort of gloomy looking out at the strip. But we do have a nice view of, of the strip. We can see the wind and the encore. Mountains. And I think, I don't have my glasses on, but, oh, no, I can see, like, uh, Bellagio and, and the Trump Tower and the thing at the link. The, hey. Uh, yeah. Donald. Yeah. It's going. So all good stuff. All right, where are we in this show here? Uh, moving on to Paul. We've got a couple of quick tips left, and, uh, and we, will, we will run them uh, quickly. I think we're doing all right with this. So Paul uh, wanted to remind us all that using the shift key can uh, slow graphics effects uh, all over the Mac. Uh, when you maximize or minim- minimize windows or show all windows or uh, minimize, you know, uh, to and from the dock is what he's talking about with maximize and minimize. Holding down the shift key can slow that down. Not necessarily a uh, uh, something that you would use every day, but handy for demos and things like that. So thank you for thank you for sending that along. Katie has a quick tip of her own to share. She says, uh, in the last episode, you asked for some simple and easily overlooked things, and I have two. Number one, moving the dock, holding the shift key and grabbing the divider between the folders and the apps and drag to the side of the screen or the middle of the screen or the middle of the bottom, and the dock will move accordingly. In addition, uh, number two, showing the hard drive on the desktop. I don't know why Apple stopped doing this automatically, but if you click on the Finder or the desktop and open the Finder preferences in the Finder menu, uh, go to view and choose show on desktop for hard drives. It works very, very well. So thank you for that. I have one last thing, John, uh, and that is 3D touch uh, trackpads on the new iPhone 6S and 6S Plus. Uh, it has a trackpad functionality. When you're in keyboard mode, if you 3D, if you force touch uh, on the keyboard, it becomes a trackpad in terms of its ability to move your cursor around through the text. So it, it's very much like having a trackpad on your Mac, and you can just sort of move the cursor around, put it where you want, let go, and then you can resume typing. So very handy thing. And, and of course, Apple demoed this when they, you know, when they did it, but it's one of those things I had forgotten about and, uh, and is very, very handy. So that's the end of uh, of my quick tips. Did you have a quick tip for your for, from from your standpoint there, John? I'm trying to figure out why it's not working now. We were talking about this one at uh, at breakfast here. What are you what, what are you trying to? Uh, I know it was when I uh, hit the home button twice. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so at breakfast, right? We were talking about how you can get the app icons or anything really. Uh, to move down, and this started okay. with the. You got to be gentle. Okay, with the no, six. you don't want to click it. You just want to okay. tap it. I, I see what I did wrong. So, yeah, if you if you hit the home button 
and and you actually feel a click, you're doing it wrong. Because I think I just did this accidentally one day, and I'm like, why is this happening? So you just lightly touch the home button twice, and then what happens is all the icons kind of move down. It's not like, just icons. I mean, if you're in the mail app, you can do that, and it uh, it brings the whole top of the screen down. Yeah, and then at first I was scratching my head, and then our own Jeff Gamet explained to me that the uh, the reason for this is that I guess uh, you know as the phones get larger, um, people's fingers are not likely to adapt um, and get longer uh, like uh, right. as quickly as the iPhones get larger. Right. So. Yeah. Evolution is not keeping up with the iPhone. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, this is, this of course is not new. It's, it's been around since the iPhone six was released. So, I mean, it's, it's a year and change old, but uh, it's one I forget about all the time. And, and for new users, you, I don't. I just don't see how valuable it is. But, like you said, John, when you you know you do that accidentally and suddenly your whole screen shifts down, that that causes a a you know uh, what just happened moment. So it's good for people to know about it. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's called reachability. Thank you for thank you. How I compute in our chat room for uh, for telling us about that, which means that the folks in the chat room can still hear us, which means you folks at home can hopefully still hear us. And, uh, and with that, John, if, uh, if it's all the same to you, I would like to talk about our sponsor for today. Outstanding. All right. Well, being here in Vegas is great, but I sure do miss having a Casper mattress to sleep on. Casper, our first sponsor here, makes some of the finest mattresses I've ever tried at a really shockingly fair price. They're obsessively engineered, these mattresses. Memory foam is used at the core and then latex foam around it. And that way you get a beautiful, comfortable sleep from the memory foam. And then the latex foam keeps you cool. This is how Casper works. Just the right sink, just the right bounce. And here's the thing. You don't have to leave your house to go test it because, frankly, leaving your house to test a mattress is crazy talk. Nobody wants to leave their house to test a mattress unless you're coming to a hotel room where you can sleep on the thing. But going to a store and trying it in your clothes, I don't know about you, but I don't go to sleep at night with my jeans and shoes on. And yet that's what I'm wearing in a store when I test out a mattress. You get this Casper mattress shipped to your house. 100 night free trial. If you don't like it, they'll take it back. No cost to you, all your money back. And here's the thing about money. Casper's mattresses are priced really, really fairly. Starting at 500 bucks for a twin size mattress going up, the highest you'll pay is 950 for a king size. And a queen is 850, a full is 750. But here's the thing. You aren't going to pay 950 for a king. You're not going to pay 500 for a twin. You get 50 bucks off by visiting casper.com/mgg coupon code mgg. Saves you 50 bucks. Free shipping. So that's 450 bucks for a twin up to a max of 900 for a king. You got to check this out. I sure am missing mine. You don't want to be missing yours anymore. Check out casper.com/mgg. Remember coupon code mgg saves you 50 bucks. Get you free shipping. Our thanks to Casper for sponsoring this episode. Indeed. Uh, 
it's still gloomy here in Vegas, but I do wish I had my uh, my my memory foam mattress. That makes a big difference. Although I slept okay, I, I'm not going to lie, it was all right. But it, I missed it when I laid down. Uh, John, let's go to John. I think we've got. Uh, we'll stick with the quick theme, uh, at least for a little while. We've got some other stuff to dig into, but uh, but J- listener John has a, a quick question here, and that is. I had to restore my photos library from Time Machine and noticed that the folder is about twice the size that it was previously. It was one terabyte. Now it's two. Am I right in assuming that whereas after the aperture to photos migration, each library had files that represented the same data, presumably after the restore, it's actually created separate files with duplicated data. And if this is the case, presumably it's time to delete time and okay to delete my old aperture library because I've only added new photos to the photos library since the migration. Yeah, that's, that's correct. I mean, it's worth verifying always, and it's worth having backups. Always, but but you are correct. When you migrated from Aperture to Photos, it created what are called hard links, which are sort of like a fancy type of alias, uh, where it pointed, it went into your new photos library and created pointers to all of the pictures that were in your Aperture library previously. When you back up, though, those pointers are treated as pointers to the actual file. So it's not the pointer that's backed up. It's the actual file. Therefore, restoring from a backup pulls all that stuff together. If you had deleted your Aperture library without restoring from a backup, if you had just deleted it, those files would still be there in your photos library. It It's a little weird, I know, but because of the way hard links work, the files wouldn't actually be deleted until both hard links were deleted, the original one in the, in the Aperture library and the new one in your Photos library. So that's, that's why this whole thing works and why you needed to do it all on local HFS Plus volumes and not try to migrate things from NAS volumes, and it got weird. It wasn't undoable or it wasn't impossible. It just wasn't great. So, yeah, you're right, John. All good stuff. Anything, John, you, anything to add before we move on? That was one thing I noticed, too. Once you do the photos migration, um, yeah, I I noticed this almost off the bat. So when my time machine backup started, it was double the size. Right. Because as as pointed out, the time machine isn't, it it thinks it's doing its job. It's like, well, yeah, I'm going to back up anything new that I see. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So exclude it. Which is, which is what I did. I basically excluded the uh, old library, and I said, please don't back that up anymore. Just back oh, up the new one. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, uh, yeah. I like it, Mr. F. Braun. Okay. Uh, going on to William, we've been talking a lot about iOS 9 or, or Gmail issues on iOS where you have to change servers and clear caches by restoring from a backup and that sort of thing to get Gmail to uh, to stop having problems. Well, uh, listener William says, I had the problem described uh, for a number of months, but uh, since I upgraded both my phone and my wife's phone to iOS 9.2, the problems have gone away. So there, it's two data points, but perhaps iOS 9.2 solves this issue. Maybe when it runs into this issue, it just knows to delete the cache files and, and rebuild them immediately as opposed to waiting for them to expire and maybe that's enough. So uh, potentially good news from William and very much appreciated that you, you sent, you t- 
took the time to uh, to send that in. So good, good stuff. Anything to add there, John? Before we move on? Nope. I said these questions were quick, so I guess they're they're almost tip like. Uh, Andrew writes. I sometimes have the need to boot into single user mode, which is all cool and everything. I hold down Command S and up it comes, except that since I moved to a Mac with a Retina display, a MacBook Pro 15-inch, the text in single user mode is microscopic. My question is, do you know of a way to increase the default text size in single user mode when booting up? Uh, in short, without being snarky, no, there is no way to do this. Uh, it's uh, You could attach a... Uh, an external display to it, but I'm not sure it would boot with that display. I don't know at what point it, it picks up, which is your primary display. So that might not even solve the problem, but, but no, this is something that Apple um, would need to solve on their end. Uh, Right. Uh, I'm, I'm uneasy with the statement that there's no way to do it. If I had to think about a way to do it, I wonder if there's a, you know, especially in Unix with text files, if, if there's a dot, you know, config or dot profile or something that can tell the OS itself, hey, you know, by the way, can you use this font or that font? Or maybe not well, that, because no, it's, you're, it's you minimal. might be right. Yeah. I mean, it's using some default font, but it is just a VT. Well, it, it presumably is treating the internal display as, you know, a, a some sort of VT type terminal like a vt100 or you know something perhaps more advanced so there could be a terminal command to bump that up i did a lot of searching for to be fair and no one has come across that but nobody even suggested that as a possibility so it's possible uh you know you're heading down a new path here that's yeah that's why i'm here it makes sense uh, that's that's the way i would approach the problem i would think at some point someone said hey i want to use a different font or a different sized font yeah when I'm, in the, when I'm in the when i'm looking at text because i have to look at it all day because so. i right right <laughs> yeah i i just i wonder how many people live in single user mode all day that's the thing right yeah it's so you know it's it's built only to be a troubleshooting environment but you know when you're troubleshooting that's you know, it's often a frustrating time. My guess is someone at Apple, this, that this frustrates someone at Apple too. So maybe, maybe there's an answer. Maybe somebody that listens and I, there's a few of you and you know who you are that would at least know the answer to this definitively. And if you can share that answer, and even if you can't share that answer, if you do, we will make sure that people know it, whether they know it came from you or not. Moving on, our last quick question. Uh, Kiaran writes, uh, I'm currently sitting with a friend trying to use AirDrop. In my house, I have two routers. Uh, When guests arrive, I have them log into one of them. We were trying to AirDrop documents to each other initially using our Macs, but then our iPads. The Macs worked well together. The iPads worked well together. But at no time were we able to get either of the iPads talking to the Macs. My question is, what troubleshooting can we do to solve this issue? And what are the likely causes of this problem? Well, AirDrop works perfectly some of the time. That's been my experience. Uh, I've had the exact experience you have, in fact, where, you know, iOS devices will talk or Macs will talk or sometimes Macs will talk to iOS devices, but not the same iOS devices to that same Mac. In short, it's flaky. Um, I do know that 
you need to either be on the same Wi-Fi network or not be on a Wi-Fi network. That, and I, I, I don't want to say that definitively. That helps. AirDrop can work and and is built to work in in what's called promiscuous mode, where you're not connected to the same um, base station. You're just both have Wi-Fi circuitry available that's capable of doing this, which is why some older Macs don't support AirDrop. Um, because they need to work that way. There is a terminal command that you can use, and we'll find it and put a link to it in the show notes where you can do airdrop over Ethernet, but that's not what it's built for. But that may help what you're doing here, and it may help your Macs. Um, because you're all on the same network, it may help your Macs find those um, those iPads. So it, it the short answer is it, it's... I haven't found it to be reliable at all. Okay. To rewind a bit, because I think I answered the question here, but if not, then we'll offer it as a mini geek challenge here to increase the size of the text in the terminal, at least, Dave. You can use command plus and command minus. Right. But that's only in the terminal app. Right. That's okay, not, I'm... that doesn't, out, that, that doesn't work in single user mode. Okay. You've tried it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well. But yeah. I didn't know that, so. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and you can adjust. I mean, you know, like I, I like to, and I change on this, but, you know, I like to use the, the different colors in the terminal. Uh, if you go into um, terminal uh, preferences and then go to profiles, you can set all, they have all, I mean, you can configure anything you want, but they have, I don't know, a dozen different presets, if you will, of very different things. You know, they've got one called Homebrew, which is black, background with like green text and a red one called red sands and i've i've gone back and forth and it you know it's just personal preference what you like currently i have a blue background with white text as my default for uh, for terminal which is based on the one called ocean in the terminal so um but yeah the, if you go to the view menu in terminal you'll see bigger and smaller are mapped to command plus and minus so um yeah the other thing you can do it here in profiles and you can create your own profile and you can base it off of any of the others. But if you go to um, terminal settings or terminal preferences, profiles, and then go to window, you can set the column, the window size. And I always set the, the column width and the rows to be much wider than the default of the terminal. I have a 160 column wide terminal and I like that a whole lot better. And it means I don't have to grab the window and make it bigger every time I open up a new terminal window. So if you live in the terminal quite a bit, it's worth digging in and creating your own profile just so that you've got some consistency uh, going on there. So fun stuff, right? Yavel, black background, green text for Paul Franz in the chat room. That's the, well, I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that were like that. But of course, I'm always reminded of the old Apple II uh, stuff because that's where we started, John. Yeah, I had one of those. I know. And some people, uh, some people preferred amber. Oh yeah, you could do an amber screen. You could buy an amber screen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Oh yes, I like the green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, w- I went with green on my. I had one of the original Apple two C monitors that kind of folded around the the two C, and that was very much a green screen. It worked fine, you know. I did a lot of cool stuff on that. I learned how to program on that machine. So is good is good. All right. Uh, where are we here, John? Let's move to, let's move to Chuck. I've actually been asked this question about this same computer 
um, or the same model of computer by several people recently, one including my neighbor. I was out um, putting mail in the mailbox and he stopped me. Uh, Chuck says, I have a problem with a 2015 MacBook Air. Oh, no, sorry. Wrong. Oh, no, that's the one. I, yeah, I got it right. 2015 MacBook Air running El Capitan that I'm trying to fix for a friend. My good, uh, he says, the problem is when booting up or restarting the computer, it does not automatically connect to the preferred wireless network or any network. The Mac also fares, fails to connect to the preferred wireless network when Wi-Fi is turned off and on again. When a wireless network is selected manually, however, the wireless password is required each and every time. The observations that I've made, the computer can be manually connected by selecting the desired Wi-Fi network and entering the correct password. The computer retains its connection when put to sleep. The problem has been replicated on two different Wi-Fi networks. They're two different home networks, but two different networks just the same. A second MacBook Air running the same version of OS X on the same two Wi-Fi networks does not experience the problem. Network settings all seem to be correct. Uh... Let's see what else. Uh, the preferred network is shown in the list of preferred networks, and the checkbox to remember this network uh, has been selected. The steps that he's taken to resolve it are uh, are as follows, and I will find them. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is where my iPad is failing me. OS 10 was updated to the most recent version, of course. Uh, first aid was run using disk utility to repair permissions, etc. cetera. Uh, each of the steps... Uh, oh, he he listed. He found a an article on OS Ten Daily that talked about deleting all of uh, or a, a series of preference files that wipe out that list of networks that it's retained. And also, he went into the network system preference pane and deleted all the preferred networks. So, my thoughts on this, John, and I'd like to bounce this around because I don't have an answer, but I think this is iCloud's fault. Uh, if you have a network in your well, it, let me let me let me pave a path here, and it and this may or may not solve Chuck's problem, but uh, if you have a network in your list, and the one that you have saved with that name has a different security setting, either the password is different or it's a different type of security. You know, one is WPA, the other is WPA two, or one has a password, one doesn't. It's going to try and connect using what it's saved, and if you if it doesn't if it doesn't match, it can't connect, and and so that would that would elicit the behavior that you're describing, where you go to connect to the network and it says, yeah, but dude, this doesn't match what we have, so you got to type in the password, right? Uh, that's one way. That's one thing that that comes to mind. In fact, that's that's sort of the thing that comes screaming to mind. Now I know you've deleted all the preferred networks, but and I checked with Chuck on this and it happens, they all come back. And the reason they come back is iCloud. iCloud remembers all your preferred networks. It syncs them to your, all your devices, your iPhone, your Apple watch, all your other Macs, your iPad, right? You have to delete these. I found that you have to delete these multiple times in order to get them to stay out. Uh, and sometimes it means, you know, turning off other devices so that the syncing doesn't happen. It, it's a, I, I don't have a surefire way of saying do this and then it will have forgotten everything, but you need to make sure it has truly forgotten everything and that nothing comes back. Now that's easier said than done. You're talking about, you know, connecting to a Wi-Fi network in order to make the sync happen. And of course, then once you do that, so if you can connect over ethernet and wipe those out you maintain the same connection and that might help, but 
I have no, you know, there's, I, I've fought with this for a while. You've heard me scream about it, which is why I'm a little worried that, you know, I'm having some confirmation bias here. Like, yep, I know what this is. Um, and and I, I could be very wrong, but, uh, but that's certainly the first path I would head down is get those things truly wiped out and make sure they don't come back. Even when you're on a network, which means ethernet, at least temporarily, and then go and add one and see what happens. That's my thought, John. That's a good thought. Thanks. I got a thought here, too. Uh, Part of this, because I heard passwords mentioned, uh, either a a password being asked for when it shouldn't be, or I'll just spit it out. Um, There is a place that this information is stored, and sometimes it gets scrambled or garbled or confused. And that place is keychain access. And I would say probably oh, the best yeah. place to look. And I've seen this before. We have had people have issues, especially with network uh, or airport passwords. Um, and then they look in their keychain and they're like, wow, there's five entries for that, all with different dates and times and, and stuff. And uh, in my humble opinion, you should have more than one for any one base station. <laughs> so... Uh, like right now I'm looking and I actually see that for my current base station, I have two entries. Now, when you go into keychain access, um, probably the quickest way, or at least one way to do it, you click on all items. I think you can also click on all pa- on passwords. Yes. All right. That works too. And then you're going to see a kind column. And the kind of item that provides a password to wireless base station, they call an airport network password. And I'm Makes looking sense. right yeah. now and I see... So even though my current base station is technically not an airport, it's a um, TP-Link, uh, it's listed as an airport network password because uh, you know I'd like my machine to automatically log into it. Uh, now, I'm kind of concerned too, Dave, because I see two entries <laughs> in two different keychains. I see one in my system keychain and one in a local items keychain for the same base station or at least uh, in the name column is the name of the base station. It's in there twice. They have very... Actually, it's kind of weird. Uh, the the time-date stamp on them is separated by one second. Well, that's that's an important second, John. A lot, can, a lot can happen in a second. Yes. <laughs> so the advice for this, um, an infinite number of things can happen in a second, right? If you want to get analog about it. Um... And that's assuming time is uh, a constant. And I, I really think time is relative. Uh, it could be. Yeah. I was thinking more analog is that, you know, in theory, there's an infinite number of points. Uh, Correct. So no, I know. I know. Continuous. Yeah. But, but if we're really going to get philosophical about this here, uh, you know, I, 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 I think time is an abstract. I, uh, I, being a drummer, I've experienced time moving in various different at various different speeds. When in fact others are perceiving it differently, uh, that could be due to something else. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, brain chemicals can do that, right? Brain chemistry. Brain chemistry. Is that what you um, meant to say? <laughs> well, no. Uh, adrenaline and things like sure. that can. Um, I've read this with with certain phenomenon. Uh, adrenaline all of a sudden modifies your perception of time and isn't perception reality though i mean it you know yes it is right you know like i I, we've been doing this this particular episode for 51 minutes it doesn't feel like 51 minutes um 
No, it doesn't. No, but you know, we're in a different environment. And so our percent, I mean, we've, you and I have never recorded here like this, looking at each other in this way before. So I'm just saying that, you know, perception is reality, even though you folks listening at home, it might feel like it's all happening normally. And you really are starting to wonder, did I press play on the right podcast today? And I know what answer is creeping into your subconscious. So John, if you wouldn't mind, maybe you Instead of me trying to get us back on track, can you try to get us back on track? Because I'm having trouble with that. Um, well, getting back on track is delete those passwords from your keychain and see if that fixes things. It certainly can't hurt every now and then for value, especially if you see multiple entries. That's my take on it. Yeah. No, that that's yeah that that works. So uh, hopefully, uh, chuckle. One of these things will will help Chuck, and and that's the uh, that's the goal. Are you, uh, are you ready to take us to Victor, I am friend? ready for Victor. Victor Gideon? was a challenge because the email, for some bizarre reason, I wasn't able to get the embedded images uh, to come out to the PDF. But I have them in Evernote. And, okay. and so far, I'm still pretty happy with uh, Evernote. Though every now and then I notice I'm looking for things, and I suspect that there are gremlins that delete them. Or you're doing cleanup or something like that. I don't know. Oh, I am doing it. I do clean up in our Evernote. Yeah. Yeah. Should, yeah, I, should I move them instead? Instead of deleting... So... It, it, pulling the curtain back a little bit, John and I, uh, earlier this year, earlier last year, um, that's right. Happy new year, everybody, by the way, here we are. We didn't say happy new year when we, uh, when we started the episode, but this is our first of 2016. So happy new yeah. year. Yeah. Well, I made that pregnant pause when I said, Oh yeah. 2016. And then you stepped all over. And then I stepped all over you. <laughs> right. That's right. We knew it was off the rails right out of the gate. Um, we moved to Evernote, which is great because we can sync uh, notebooks back and forth, and we put PDFs and audio files and all these other things in there that, that we use to prep the show. And then after we've answered a question, I delete those. But I don't have to. I can move them. We could create an MGG archive and just you know demote those things to an archive folder, and that way they'd always be there, which isn't a bad idea. I'll start doing that. If we hate it, we can always take everything in the archive and delete it. Yeah, it's just sometimes I'm doing the show notes or I need to yeah. – it's usually during the show note uh, creation. That right. I need to go back to a question and I see it in the agenda and then I'm like, well, what happened to that item? And it's not it's gone anymore. Okay. No, that makes sense. All right, yeah, we'll save it. So no we'll problem. get that out of our system. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, but here's a good one. All right. So anyways, I have all the content here in Evernote eventually. And it was from our friend Victor. Victor Kayahau. I think I pronounced it right who's one of the podcasting cool kids. And actually, he's doing a fairly new one out there. Uh, maybe you could find it there, Dave. I, uh, Terra Tech, I think. Uh, I think he, I think that graduated to, yep, you are correct. Okay. So, uh, heck, we'll link to that. He, he's yeah, had a few very interesting people, uh, including some of our listeners. Actually, one of them I met at a podcast expo. I think it was Joel. Joel, I think it was Joel. Nice. Um, or I'm sorry, the, the, the Photo Plus Expo. Okay. Where, where, where I met him. And uh, uh, this guy is, is a maniac on the grill. And he oh. posts pictures of all the wonderful things that he cooks. Cool. <laughs> okay. And that, that's the variety of Victor's show. It goes from uh, barbecues to, I think he had a rocket scientist. But anyways, Victor was having a problem with preview. Now, this is something that I do not use, but he sent a crash log. So he wanted to use uh, preview, which is a... a PDF viewer plus a whole lot more that's built into OS X um, has a feature where you can add a signature 
kind of like a you know people do they they sign documents and stuff and i guess you can uh, there are a couple of options to create and and uh, access your signature from within preview. So you can apply it to documents. Isn't that handy? Sure. Well, it's kind of a problem, though. In um, He was trying to create it, and preview would crash. So first, crash logs. And just a quick reminder here, where do you find crash logs? Typically, you will find them in your home directory, library, logs, diagnostic reports. Though it could be... There, there are a couple of different folders. Uh, they usually end in the word reports. But he sent me a crash report. And I'm like, awesome, Victor. That, yeah. that, you know, that really helps. So I looked at the crash report. And the thing is, the crash report is typically pretty explicit about the thread um, that crashed or, or the part that caused the problem. And the part that caused the problem, Dave, so at first you may be scratching your head over there saying, how could this? This doesn't make sense. Crash thread 12. Dispatch queue, com.apple.annotation kit. Oh, uh, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. Dot capture video data output. Huh? What huh. Is, what does video have to do with preview? Well, uh, and, and I'll lead to that with the screenshot. Well, he gave me a screenshot of the feature here, but then I actually acted it. So I do not use this feature. But what happens is if you try to go into the signature feature, it gives you a couple of different sources. One of them, is you can use your trackpad and scribble your signature on your trackpad. The other source is your camera. Hmm. Oh. Now let me see. Do cameras have anything to do with video? Usually. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can. Yeah. And then he he solved the problem on his own. So so I I, I nudged him in the right direction. And uh, he basically he basically found what the problem was after a couple of iterations here. So I first said, well, you know, do you have any extra cameras plugged in? Maybe you got a camera with an old driver, or something sure. like that. Check that out. And he he took that route, and that didn't didn't that off. didn't solve it. Sure. But then he was like, you know what? I have this piece of software called Cam Twist. Ooh, well, that sounds like a piece of video type software yeah and what one of the things cam twist does is it actually creates a virtual camera in your mac which which allows you to do really cool things but it creates another camera yep and apparently the two were fighting with each other because he took cam twist removed it uh and then was able to access this feature within preview i believe it so uh thank you victor and uh and victor thanked me and uh it, it was a neat little troubleshooting exercise that, that made me happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Cam twist is, is, um, is very cool. It, it lets you, uh, like I said, it creates a virtual camera and you can take things from your, you can take multiple sources and feed them into this one camera. When we did a few, um, video Mac geek apps, we were using cam twist so that I could mix John's video with my video and, and do all that. It was a little much to do for one person in real time, but, uh, but it, but a very cool thing. And it, you know, if you're doing like video chatting with family and friends, you can all, you could also do some stuff, but it's very cool to be able to jump back and forth between various views and, and that sort of thing. So I can totally understand why Victor would have cam twist, uh, on his machine. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Yep. Cool. Fun stuff. All right. Uh, you want to go back to the terminal with Harvey, John? Yes. This gets uh, interesting. So Harvey wants to boot in a safe mode. What is safe mode? Safe mode is a way you can boot in OS X, and it does all sorts of cleanup and 
clearing of caches and not loading unnecessary things. And a lot of times booting into this mode once uh, should do it, uh, can help fix things. He was having a lot of trouble getting his 2012 MacBook Pro, which is the same machine that I have, into safe mode. And the instructions are you hold down the shift key after you hear the startup chime. Uh, Apple documents this. And uh, every time he does that, it does a normal boot. Um, he's tried timing. Uh, um, I think it's about, uh, I, I don't think I need to go any farther here. The, okay. the, 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 the question was, well, he tried a few other things. He tried to run this utility, reset the PRAM, but um, he, he got very close though. Okay, so, so back on track here. So he did get very close, but not quite there. Um, there is a way. And I've had this problem too, actually, not only on, the, you know, I tried this a few times. I'm like, I can't get into this mode either. Uh, I found both Apple and Windows sometimes with certain special startup options, they get very persnickety and very demanding about exactly when you hold the key down. And they don't really give any indication that what you did worked until you see that it didn't. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Now, on the Mac, there's a way to do this, and we'll, we'll link to an article we've linked to it in the past, but there is a way if you go into, and this gets kind of timely because we just talked about NVRAM. One thing you can do with NVRAM, in addition to clearing it, is you can also set a variable, and there is a way, and he actually tried something, and he got oh so close. He tried in the terminal, sudo space NVRAM space boot dash args equals double quote and then he did dash V space dash X and then another double quote. That's oh so close to what you really want to do because what you really want to do is just have one of those in there. Mm. And the one that you want to have in there, and I suspect what happens is ignored the first one here. The, what you want to do is only have the dash X. Okay. So you want to do pseudo space NVRAM space boot dash args equals double quote dash X double quote. There's a better way of, than having to remember that. Just use Onyx, and it can set that for you. And that's all it does, is it, it sets that for you, but you get to you just check a box in Onyx and say, I always want to boot this way, and, and away it goes. So Right. Now, the way you, you should know that it worked is that you will see very briefly, and Apple has changed its behavior over the years, but very briefly, when you get to your login screen, you're going to see the word safe mode in okay. red letters on the top of your screen, and that's how you know that it worked. The other reason you know it's, it's worked is that it takes way, way longer because it's doing all of this maintenance. And Right. Is that you, you will be sitting there in all likelihood, or at least when I did it on this class machine with an SSD, I was there for a good three minutes or so, where normally my machine boots in less than a minute. So... Now, the funny thing is, is that, and I'm, I want to bounce this off you, Dave. So the other thing is that you, what you want to do is to undo that. So yeah, you could either use Onyx, or of course, what you can do to undo that is go back into the terminal and say sudo space nvram space boot dash args equals double quote, double quote, which is basically nothing. To wipe it. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, now, he said when he tried this, I, I think it may have been due to a typo. He said when he tried this, what he got was then a greater than sign. Which almost leads me to believe that he, uh, he hit well, a wrong key. A somewhere. greater than sign means he didn't finish the previous command from the terminal, which means he didn't hit the final double quote. Perhaps that—that's usually where that comes from. Um, so, yeah, 
Yeah. And actually, if you see that on the terminal, it's okay. Just finish the command and hit enter and it'll, it'll finish. The greater than sign says, I know you didn't finish the last thing, so we're just waiting and it's all good. And you can finish it right here as though you never pressed enter and all is all, you know, everybody will be happy. So cool. That's what I got for that. All right, cool. Uh, moving on. I, I want to move to Bart and then we'll come back to, to David for those of you playing along with the agenda at home, which is none of you. Um, it's only John and I, but, uh, Bart had an issue where, uh, he had, uh, I'm trying to look at all of this and, and sort of, uh, he had a bus, he had a bus powered, um, no, he had a, a non bus powered USB drive and it wasn't working on, on his Mac. Uh, he couldn't pull data from it. It, it was being flaky, uh, couldn't get it to mount. And this was a drive that he didn't have a, a lot of backups uh, of, or at least not a recent backup of. At some point during the troubleshooting process, he decided to plug the drive into another Mac. And it worked perfectly. At which point, Bart did what every uh, self-respecting geek does, is copied everything he could have off of it without changing anything. Because that may have just been the last time that drive decided to spin up. I've certainly seen it. It's been a while, but I've seen it where, you know, you move a drive or you do something and it finally spins up and you're like, okay, this is it. I, you know, everything else in my life is on pause. I'm going to copy all the data that I can off of it. And he did that. And then he plugged it back into the original Mac and it still didn't work. And then he plugged it back into the second Mac and it worked fine. So he rebooted and it still didn't work on the original Mac. And, and he very, he narrowed it down. He used a couple other Macs and narrowed it down to this one drive would not work with that Mac. Now, it wasn't a bus-powered drive, so it wasn't something where the, that Mac wasn't providing enough power. It was a, you know, the drive had its own power supply, all that stuff. On a whim, I suggested he reset the SMC of his computer because when it seems like it's hardware, sometimes it's not. And the SMC reset is the trick to getting around that. Sure enough, that solved the problem. And uh, John's asking me for my my battery here, so hang on. We need to we need to be very careful because we don't want to unplug the mixer while we're doing that. Mm. Uh, I'm running dangerously low on juice here, and yeah. didn't bring my adapter. Of course, it's in my room. Yeah, John didn't bring his power adapter. That's all right. We can share. Uh, I've got I've got plenty of juice now. So yeah, resetting the SMC was. Oh, you may not do that. Oh, nice sixty cycle there. Yep. Um, move your microphone cable. Away from the power adapter. I see. I see the problem. I, I can see it. <laughs> well, I think it's that that mic. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's weird because that mic isn't plugged into your computer. So hey, to to finish, we're gonna we're uh, gonna solve John's problem too. Oh, I got forty. Minutes, oh, okay. So. All right. So just leave it right there. That's fascinating. I knew what that was as soon as I heard that. I'm like, uh oh. I think huh. Dave reset too. Why? But, okay. So SMC reset, and we'll put a link in the show notes as to how to do that. Um, it's usually unplugging the power while the computer's off and then plugging it back in, sometimes holding the power button, sometimes not. Follow the instructions in the, in the thing, in the, in the article that we'll link to. Now, I want to talk about your problem here, John, because this doesn't make any sense. Oh, it might. So it, it, in theory, John used a MagSafe power adapter um, and plugged into his Mac for, that was in mine. Now, there's John's Mac is not plugged into this mixer at all. There's a microphone. There's a vacuum in the hallway that you're hearing, John. Uh, there's a microphone in uh, uh, in front of John that has an XLR cable 
uh, that plugs into this little mixer and the mixer is powered USB from my Mac. For some reason, plugging in this power into John's Mac, which is not connected to his microphone or the mixer at all, caused this 60 cycle uh, hum that we heard, uh, you know, 60 hertz, 60 beats a second. So the question is why? And, uh, you know, the cables are sort of intertwined with each other, the mic cable, the power cable, and this, because it's just sort of a mess on the desk. So it's possible that's it. It's also possible that your computer was actually the thing making that noise, that we weren't hearing it in line. We were hearing it through your microphone because um, be, because the MagSafe or the, the power adapter that I have is the puny little one that comes with the 11-inch air, so might not provide enough power. But go ahead and plug that back in, John. I want to hear if, if I hear it in the room. I'm taking out my earplugs. Do you still hear the, the hum? Hold on. Come on, MagSafe. Is the hum back? Yep. Okay. It's not. We're not hearing it in the room, so it's definitely a cabling thing. Talk to them, John. While I'm, well, tell them what I'm doing here. Well, I know exactly what the problem is. Hey. Oh, you fixed it. What did you move away from? What? I I unwrapped two of the cables, so but only probably, very slightly. I mean, yeah, you know, so I you know you were creating uh, an inductive. Yeah. Uh, or I was going to say that the answer to any 60-cycle hum problem is always ground. Ground, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or lack that, thereof. What's because. weird is the microphone cable that you're using is a shielded. It's pretty. Beefy. Oh, it's not shielded, but it's uh, it's balanced, right? It's a, it's a three-wire balanced connector, and it would be shielded, too, I think. So, yeah, but, you know, whatever. All right, problem solved. Fun. I think we're still recording, right? That's good. All right, so we didn't break anything. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, SMC will solve that problem. Now I want to go to David because this is uh, kind of a fun one for me um, and could be a fun one for you too. And, I, you know, I, I know that sometimes when we mention something almost in passing on the show, um, it creates a, um, a, a long little trail. And so in the uh, review that I did of Netgear's uh, routers recently, actually both the R7500 and the R8500 most recently, I mentioned that I really like Netgear's firmware. Uh, I really like the routers and the hardware was great, but their firmware has one or is missing a feature that pretty much all firmware uh, on commercial or on, on you know consumer grade routers is missing. And that is local DNS. Local DNS is a way to set up a DNS server locally uh, in your network that knows the names and IP addresses of your local devices. So if you want to ping or connect to the iMac in the office, and this is what I do, I, my iMac in the office is called iMac Office because that's what I name it in my DHCP client ID, and that's all it takes to do local DNS. Now, Bonjour sort of takes care of some of this. You could, I can do iMacOffice.local, and it will work. But it's not it's it's not perfect, you know. It it would with with local DNS, true local DNS on your router, you can do things like DHCP reservations that map then to your local DNS and all of that. You don't have to, um, you don't have to rely on you know DHCP client ID and that sort of thing. So, um, David wrote, "I would like to set up local DNS on my home network. I want to be able to ping my Macs by name instead of IP, and that, that's smart. It makes total sense." 
Uh, he says his network currently consists of uh, a current generation Airport Extreme, a D-Link, uh, I believe, eight-port switch, a Drobal 5N, several PCs and Macs that can be purposed to serve as servers. Do I need a new router to do this, or can I use something in my existing network to do it? Should I set up one of my Macs as a as an OS 10 server and then run DNS on that? And um, so the answer is yes to any or all of the above. Um, your current router won't do this, but as I mentioned, no consumer-grade router is going to do it with stock firmware. They, it, it's just not a feature they built in. Uh, but DDWRT, the firmware that I like to use, and that now runs on that aforementioned Netgear 8500, uh, does do this. And it's just a simple checkbox and you're done. So, And that's available for free, requires some geeky setup uh, for sure. Uh, so depending on whether you're comfortable going that route or not, that, that's one thing to, to consider. You can buy both Buffalo and uh, Asus cell routers with DDWRT pre-installed on them. So that can make that a lot easier. But it is a little geeky to configure all this stuff. Uh, if you don't want to go that route, then you'll use one of your Macs or your PCs to do this. Setting up OS 10 server would work. Uh, here's the thing. You want to make sure if you're going to go down this path, you don't want to go down it halfway. And so you need DHCP, which is the engine that hands out addresses, IP addresses, to be running on the same server as your DNS server so that the two can talk to each other and create this fully-fledged local DNS setup. So you'd, you'd be moving your DHCP away from your router, which always concerns me, because if something happens to your Mac and it just falls off the network for any reason, bad Ethernet cable, shuts down, crashes, whatever, no devices can get on your network now. It, you, know, you have a network that is reliant on two devices functioning properly, your router and this other Mac. So that's, that's why there's a benefit to having all of this functionality in your router if you're willing to go the geeky route. Um, but maybe you are. I mean, if you want local DNS, you know, you're talking about pinging your machines. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're well into the geek quotient here. So maybe that's enough for you. Um, but it, it is fun. And, and it's, it's a simple little feature. And it's amazing once you get used to it, how difficult it is to live without it. Um, and it's basically got me trapped into using at least some type of, you know, third-party firmware uh, for the foreseeable future, which is fine, but it's interesting. So I don't know. That's that's where I that's where I go on this, John. Why not just put a hosts file on each machine? You could actually. You know what? I I actually did. I even put. I, I might have even had that in the email to David. But th it's true. You could. You could. It, you could do a static assignment of. Uh, of, or a DHCP reservation on your router, which Apple's routers will let you do, which means you put in the, the Mac address of a computer and then assign it to an IP and, and all of that works. And then you, once you know all the IPs, if you edit a file on each Mac called uh, slash ETC uh, slash hosts, you can put in IP address space computer name. And if you just replicate this on all of your Macs, then they will know, they look at that first, essentially, before they even ask for DNS lookups. So that would work. It means manually managing that, and anytime you make a change, you've got to go to all of your computers and do that. But it is the cheap solution. You have everything you need right now to do it, with the exception of if you, for some reason, want to use local DNS from your iPads, like to access your router by typing router in your, uh, in your browser, which I do all the time, uh, it won't work 
because you be, only because you can't edit the Etsy host file on an iPhone or an iPad. It exists. It's there. You can't edit it. That's a I good was kind idea. of kidding because before DNS, that is how people would map numbers to names. Right. And like you said, you have to manage it carefully because if one file is different from another, then chaos ensues. Well, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Confusion at, at best. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. Do we have any more we want to do here today, John, or, or should, we, uh, should we thank the bandwidth gods and, and, and get out while we still can? Uh, let's save Kevin. Uh, Kevin has a lot of interesting stuff in it, but it's going to take a while to go through. It's going to so. take a while. Okay. Well, then that means, folks, that it's time to wrap up another Mac Geek Cab. Yep. We flew the band out here specifically oh, yeah. to play oh, us out. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, oh. Well, they were a little eager to play, too, and that's why they stepped all over you in the beginning, John. But, yeah. You know, that's how it works. Feedback at MacGeekGub.com is the address that you can use to send us all your thoughts, questions, tips, quick tips, cool stuff found, whatever it is you've got, we want to hear about it. And uh, we love getting all your email. It really, it, frankly, it's the thing that, that you create the show. You know, you're the you're the producers. You you put together all of the uh, questions and the tips, and we just assemble them and, and deliver them to you. So, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You're right, Dave. It's feedback at MacGeekGab.com because if it wasn't for that, then we talk about what we think is interesting and not what you think is interesting or useful. And who wants that? Who wants that? Maybe sometimes we do. <laughs> so let's be honest. Sometimes we we do take over a little bit, but you know, it's all in good fun. 206-666-GEEK is the phone number you can call to get to us. John, Geek is? 4335. Did you forget to mention feedback at MacGeekUp.com a third time? Oh, no, that would be the fourth time there, John. I'm not sure what's going to happen. You better edit that out. Yeah, I I think we just broke through the space-time continuum. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, boy, howdy. I think what we need to we need to make sure we only do it twice in the next show, okay. and at least to let create the, balance. to create balance in the, the in force. The force. <laughs> That's right. I haven't seen the movie yet. Oh yes. Out. Okay. Well, make sure you go see it. Um, Twitter is a good place to find us, especially this week. We will be posting there. Uh, he is John F. Braun on Twitter. I am Dave Hamilton. Uh, the rest of the crew here at Mac Observer is uh, Jeff Gamut is Jay Gamut, Brian Chaffin is TM O'Brien. Of course, the website is Mac Observer, and the show, this show, is Mac Geek Cab. You can also hear us. I, I know at least I will be on TMO's Daily Observations podcast most days this week while we'll be talking about stuff from CES. My guess is we'll rope you into at least one of those, Mr. F. Braun. So I'm here. Why not? Exactly. Yeah, we got extra microphones. It's all in good fun. So uh, that's what we have. I want to thank the folks at Cashfly, C A C H E F L Y dot com, for uh, providing all the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you. Of course, the podcast marketplace with Gazelle at uh, gazelle.com where you can sell out all your, sell off all your old stuff. Imazing at imazing.com where you can uh, use coupon code MGG to save 20%. Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek, of course. You can see their latest deals for you. Squarespace at squarespace.com with coupon code MGG. Gets you 10% Linda at lynda.com slash mgg for 10 free days. Of course, Otherworld Computing, 
at maxsales.com, barebones software at barebones.com, and as we mentioned in the show, Casper at casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. John, you brought us into this. Let me step all over you again while we, while we take us out. <laughs> all I can say, especially in Vegas, is one thing you want to keep in mind is you absolutely do not want to get caught. Made up.